Well, we are going through the Minor Prophets, and we have hit the book of Obadiah. Now, I don't know how many of you looked ahead and said, oh, I'm going to read a whole book this week. And you got to Obadiah, and you said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's one chapter. So if you hit Obadiah and you said, Whew, I got this one conquered. Obadiah is, uh, is one of those books that's, that's unusual. Number one, we, we know absolutely nothing about Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is a common name in Hebrew. And there are a number of Obadiahs that you'll find in the Old Testament that are not our Obadiah. It's not Obadiah the prophet. Very common name. We don't know where he's from. And the interesting thing about Obadiah is he's going to prophesy. He's not going to prophesy to the northern kingdom. And he's not going to prophesy to the southern kingdom. He's going to prophesy to the kingdom of Edom. Uh, now, there's some debate by theologians as to where this guy fits. Some believe he was one of the first to write in about 840 B.C., and others will put him after the fall of Babylon in, uh, in about 538 B.C., and the, the truth is, it doesn't matter. Because he's prophesying about the future, and he is going to be talking about how we treat others. So when we look at this, uh, the timeline, uh, this particular timeline shows Obadiah way up, way up here at 840. Uh, if you want to put him there, that's fine. If you want to put him down at the other end where the, where the red box is and they go into captivity, the southern kingdom goes into captivity in Babylon, put it there. The reality is, is it's God's word and it's here to inform us also. He's going to talk to Edom, and he's, he's going to share with them some difficult things, but I believe that Obadiah was written to inform us, because when we look at the way the kingdom of Edom treated the Israelites, it looks a lot like today. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's look at Obadiah. We're going to read the first 14 verses to start out with as Obadiah talks to the kingdom of Edom. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like an eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. 
Would they not steal only what they had enough? If grape, grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how, I, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border and the men of peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They will eat your bread, will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declare the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom, understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then you mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, for so that everyone must be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of the violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, for you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered the gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, you do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the fork of the road and cut down fugitives and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. And we're going to stop there in this Big book of Obadiah. As we look at Obadiah, you see two names mentioned, Edom and Esau. And to really understand what he's saying here, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. Now, who remembers who Esau was? He was one of the twins of Isaac, Jacob and Esau. And uh, so... Way back in, in Genesis chapter 25, Rachel, his, uh, excuse me, Rebecca, their mother, was pregnant. She had twins, and uh, they were wrestling buddies in the womb. Uh, in 25, 23, says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now Esau was the firstborn. And he was an interesting kid. When he was born, uh, he came out, and, and the Bible account tells us that he was red and hairy. Well, guess what Esau means in Hebrew? Hairy. Not H-A-R-R-Y, H-A-I-R-Y. Can you imagine having that for a name? Hi, Harry. You're awfully hairy. And, and, and he, was, he was a man's man. 
I mean, he liked to go hunting and fishing, and he would go out in the, and bring his dad back all this wild game. And Jacob loved the fact that he was a man. I mean, he probably wore flannel, you know, if they had flannel back then. He was, he was a man's man. And then Jacob, the younger brother, well, he was mama's boy. And his name means deceiver, or I like the term schemer. He was always trying to find a way to get ahead. You know, he would, he would stay at home and he would watch the Julia Child show and learn how to cook all these, you know, wonderful dishes. And you guys remember the story, right? One day Esau is out hunting. He didn't have a very good day out in the field. He came home and he was starving. And here was Jacob in the kitchen with his apron on and his little chef's hat. And he was stirring this pot of... Red stew. And Esau comes in and says, oh, I'm starving. Give me, I'll give you anything if you give me a bowl of that red stew. And Jacob looks at him and goes, "Uh, I'll give you the stew for your birthright. Oh, birthright's a pretty big thing. In the Jewish tradition, the birthright meant that the, bro- that the oldest brother got a double portion of the inheritance and he became the patriarch of, of the family when his dad died. Big, big thing. And the Bible says that Esau despised. He didn't want to be the big cheese. He, he wasn't about money. So he says, sure. So he gets this bowl of red stew, he eats it, and pretty soon, word gets around the foolishness of Esau. Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of red stew, and they nicknamed him Edom. Now Edom in Hebrew means red. So not only was he red and hairy, But he got this nickname of Edom because he traded his birthright for a bowl of red stew. And as we looked along, these guys, these two brothers, uh, they they separated. Remember Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob ran off and and married his wives. And and 20 years later he comes back and he's afraid that Esau is going to kill him and And they reconcile. But after Jacob moves back and their dad dies, it says this in Genesis 36, 2. And Esau, he moved to the south and he took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Now that may not sound like much, but one of the things that that both Abraham did and and Isaac did was he sent people back to get wives from their people. Esau took wives of Canaan. Now, Cain, the Canaanites were idol worshipers. And, and so he takes daughters of Canaan. He becomes an idol worshiper. He founds the, the, uh, the tribe of Edom in, south of what is, we're going to call the promised land south of where Israel will eventually find their home. 
400 years pass. Remember Jacob and, and all of his family go down to Egypt. They stay there. They multiply greatly, and now they're on their way out. God has delivered them from Pharaoh. They're on their way into Israel, and we come to Numbers chapter 20. And this is Edom talking, Numbers 20, 20 to 21. They're wanting to pass through Edom to get to the promised land. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with heavy force and with strong hand. And thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Edom is at, the, at least a cousin at this point. They're related. At one time, Edom and Jacob were brothers. And yet the animosity through the years has trickled down and trickled down until 400 years later, he says, no, I'm not even going to let you walk. And they had a thing called the King's Highway, which is where everybody traveled. And they had said, we'll just stay on the highway. If we drink any water, we'll pay for it. If we damage anything, we'll pay for it. And Edom said, no. How many of you watched the Hatfields and McCoys? Right? Remember that old show, right? And, and who, who was the star-crossed lovers? Little Abner and Daisy May. And little Abner and Daisy May decided they, wanted, they loved each other. And they wanted to get married. And so they asked their, their mom and dad, both of them, why are the Hatfields and McCoys fighting? Well, because my daddy fought with the Hatfields and McCoys. And then they, so they went, to the, they went to the grandpa and they said, Grandpa, why are the Hatfields and McCoys fighting? Well, because my great-grandpappy fought with them. They, nobody knew what started the feud. But here, all these years later, they were still fighting. And this is what we come to with, with, the, with Edom. So understanding that they were kinfolk, they were related, and there was a responsibility that comes with that. And so with that in mind, as we come to Obadiah, when you see he's going to make a five-point indictment of Obadiah. And the first one comes... In verse 10, because of violence to your brother, Jacob, your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and I will cut you off forever. And there's a number of times when he says in there, I will cut you off forever. But one was that they were violent towards Israel. Now last week in Amos, Remember, we saw that, God, that Amos proclaimed a uh, prophecy against all of the surrounding nations. Edom was one of these, and this is what it says about Edom in Amos 1.11. And thus says the Lord, for three transactions of Eden, uh, Edom, and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. 
because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion, his anger also tore continually and he remained and he maintained his fury forever. See, some people, some people let things get out of hand, don't they? Some people refuse to forgive. What happens when you refuse to forgive? Oh man, it, it eats yourself up. He, he maintained his fury forever. And, and not only does it eat you up, it fuels the ongoing part of that. And it says they even went to the point where they got violent. Now, I, I don't know about you and your brothers and sisters, but I, my brother's four years older than I am. And he's, he's about six inches taller than I am. And, when, and I was a pretty scrawny kid when I was little. And his favorite thing to do was he'd get me mad and then he would do this. And I would be just, you know, I wanted to, and my dad kept saying, saying, son, you better quit talking to my brother. Because one day, well, I, I learned how to wrestle in high school. And uh, I learned that it doesn't matter how tall you are, you go down pretty hard. And my brother learned his lessons. But, but you know, we would always at the end of the day, you know, we would, at the end of the day, we would always make things right. Because we were brothers. But these guys got to the point where they raised their, they went in and invaded territories. They, they took over towns. They were violent. Well, the second thing that we see in verse 11, and on that day that you stood aloof, and on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered the gates and cast lots in Jerusalem, you too were one of them. When it came time for the Assyrians and the Babylonians came to invade Israel, you know what Edom did? They just stood around and watched. They did nothing. That sound like today? People will stand by and watch and do absolutely nothing. You know, in 31 years in law enforcement, I can't tell you how many times somebody, oh, well, we called 911, we want you to fix this. And they just stood by and watched. And when people say, oh, I'm afraid, we are a risk-adverse society, aren't we? Oh, if I touch somebody... I, I might get a disease. When I worked up at Oregon Health Science University, we, were, we did uh, the public safety department there. We responded to all medical emergencies outside of the hospital because doctors do not walk outside of a hospital door to give aid. And I had a gentleman go down one day on a TriMet bus. My response time was four minutes. The guy had been a, he had had a heart transplant and his heart had stopped on the bus 
And for four minutes, everybody on that bus sat and watched him lie on the floor until I got there. And I was four minutes too late. People will stop, will stand and do nothing. And we as Christians are called to action. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord. We are not called to stand by and do nothing. Matter of fact, James says in James 4.17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. God, God did not stand by. He sent his son to die on a cross. He said, you're in sin, you need a remedy, and he calls us to do the same. He calls us to come and stand and do something. If you know it's the right thing to do, then we need to do it. And Edom didn't. They stood by and they watched as Babylon and Assyria carried the tribes of Judah and Israel away. Not only did they do that, but look at verse 12. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah. Boy, they got theirs. Yeah. They, I, we didn't like them anyway, and look what happened. Look. Yay. Not that we've ever done that. Have we? I'm glad they got it. They deserved it. You ever said that? Rejoicing over somebody's judgment when God's judging them? Well, I got news for you. Proverbs has a little bit to say about this. Proverbs 27, 17, and 18 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Look at the second half of this. Or the Lord will see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. Well, isn't that interesting? That's a little catch-22, isn't it? Oh, my, my enemy's over here being judged. Yay, God, go get him! Oh, wait. Why aren't you judging him anymore? Well, it's because of your hard attitude over here, good brother. <laughs> you change your heart. And so, so now you're like going, okay, if I don't rejoice, they'll get more. Oh, wait, I just rejoice. Ah! So what do we need to do? We, we have to change our heart attitude in the first place. Because you know what? When your enemy is being judged, what's God's doing? What is he doing for, to your enemy? He's saying, I'm giving you a wake-up call. I want, I want you to come to me. Oh, you enemy of my, of my friend over here, I want you to understand grace. I want you to understand mercy. And oh, by the way, he's already received grace and mercy, so he should be What? Extending grace and mercy to you. And so God says, hey, you, you have, you're part of my 
reaching the enemy. Changing the way the past is. Why are we fighting, Dad? I don't know. Well, why don't we stop fighting? We, we can't rejoice over other people's misfortune. The next thing that they, that the next one is in verse 13. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of disaster. You see, not only did they do nothing, and then they rejoiced about it. Then they decided to take advantage of it. They took advantage of Israel's misfortune. When Babylon came in and hauled them away, when Assyria came in and hauled away the northern kingdom, what did Edom do? Edom went up and they began taking their cities. And they began looting. And they, they literally, Edom began expanding their territory because of what had happened to the Israelites. They took advantage of them. And you say, oh, well, we're not like that, are we? Oh, well, I have to sell my car to help pay my bills. Well, how much is your car worth? I'll give you half of that. I've watched people do it. You're, you're stuck. You're in a hard place. You need, well, how much do you, what, what's your bottom dollar? You ever heard somebody, uh, anybody, anybody liked a garage sale? Right? Anybody had a garage sale and you had somebody, oh, th- these, are, these items are 25 cents a piece. You know, and typically what? You're putting 10 cents on the dollar, whatever on them. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a dollar for six of them. You're like going, what? They're 25 cents a piece. I think you can pony up a buck 50. Now, my wife does not like me doing garage sales with her. Because she just, I mean, she's like, get the stuff out of here. And I'm like, if they can't pay a buck 50, they're not getting it. <laughs> but, but people, you know, we are in a society that says what? It's all about me. If I can, if I can get a deal on somebody because of their misfortune, what am I going to do? I'm going to take advantage of that. And, and God says, because of that, because they took advantage of the, of the Israelites when they were down. That's, you, know, you ever heard the term kicking somebody while they're down? That's what they were doing. I mean, they had stood by and they had watched the the Babylonians and the Assyrians come in and capture them and, and the Assyrians were terrible. We will find that out next week about how bad the Assyrians were. But they were terrible people. And they came in and says, oh, by the way, we're just going to come in and take all your stuff while you're gone. The final 
thing that indictment that he makes of them is in verse 14. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. They literally, when Babylon came in to take the southern kingdom, Edom was on their southern border, and they went to the fords of the rivers, and they wouldn't allow the Israelites to cross. You can't come in. And they would turn them away to be taken away by the Babylonians. They stood at the, at the as it says here, you stood at the fork in the road and cut down their fugitives. You sent them back to be imprisoned by the Babylonians. In 1939, Hitler's persecution of the Jews was increasing. Kristallnacht had just taken place. The Jews were being, uh, having to wear their stars. World War II had not started yet. 937 people boarded the MS St. Louis bound for Cuba. All of them had received Cuban visas. And as they sailed across the ocean, they got to Cuba. They were stopped in the port of Havana. And only 28 were allowed to come in. The rest were turned away. And the MS St. Louis turned north seeking refuge in Miami. And as they floated off the coast of Miami, a telegraph was sent to President Roosevelt. And President Roosevelt denied them entry into the port of Miami. He said, you will not land in the United States. They traveled north to Canada and the Prime Minister of Canada denied them access. And the MS St. Louis traveled back across the ocean back to Germany. A few countries said, we'll take 100, we'll take 200. The rest of them were returned to Germany where one-third of them were murdered by the Nazis. That's chilling. That's the United States of America. The one who has the Lady Liberty that stands in the port that says, send me, you're unwanted. Edom actively turned away the Israelites from their fugitives. You're saying, but we would never do that. I would never do that. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is making a parable, and he's talking about a king, and he's talking about the judgment, and he says that he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. He's talking about those who are actual believers and those who pretend to be believers. 
And in verse 34, he says, And the king say, will say to those on his right, Come, who, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, why did he say that? Watch the following verses. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous answered him and said, Lord... When did we see you hungry or feed you or invite you in or give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. You see, it doesn't have to be a whole boat full of people. Maybe it's the person next door. Maybe it's the person that you cross on, you see on the street. Maybe it's somebody that has just come to you and said, hey, I need a little help. The day of hope Perfect example. 2,500 people came through the doors from Albany. 50,000 pounds of food went home with them. Shoes for their kids. One little girl sitting on, at, at the connections area on her way out. She said, this is the first new pair of shoes I've ever owned. That's Albany. That's where we live. God calls us to love those who can't take care of themselves. And we have that opportunity. We're going to move to the last part of Obadiah. But before we do, I, I want to ask you, and this is on your notes. This is nothing you... I want you to respond to right now. But when you go home today and you're sitting in the quietness of your home, I want you to ask, are we standing by and doing nothing? Are we rejoicing in the judgment of others? Are we taking advantage of others' misfortune? Are we turning away those who need our help? I think those are all great questions we have to ask ourselves because God calls us to be what in this world? We are to be light. We are to be the one that's bringing that cup of cold water, bringing that meal, bringing that, and we need to be the answer, not the question. That's what God calls us to be. Well, we're going to turn now to the last uh, few verses here in Obadiah, and he is going to shift. Remember, almost all of our prophets give us a current prophecy, and he gives us a forward prophecy. And we learned in Amos this thing called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the time 
from the great tribulation all the way through to the thousand year reign of Christ. Obadiah 15. For the day of the Lord draws near on all nations. All who have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually and they will drink and swallow and become as if it never existed. But on the Mount of Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. And then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble and they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau and those of Shephla will the Philistine plain and possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead and the exiles of the host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Saphrad will possess the cities of the Negev and deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The day of the Lord. There is coming a time when Israel's promise that was given to Abraham will become true. It's the day of the Lord. It's coming. It's in the future. They're not seeing it today. I know everybody talks about how in 1948 Israel came back into the land. They are in a small fraction of the land that was promised to Abraham. They will not see the fulfillment of that until the thousand year reign of Christ when they will possess the land. They will have it all. And part of that land is what would have been Edom at that time. That was part of the land that Abraham had traveled through. And, and it says here that I'm going to judge Esau. God says, I'm going to judge you. He said, Israel's the fire and Esau's like stubble. God will judge us for what we did or did not do. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the days of field burning. Right? Yeah, I used, to, I used to work in the ryegrass for a couple summers. And I can remember we always burned at night, right? And, we would, and part of my job was after they would burn the fields, I would come through and plow. And you know what was left in those fields? Zero. Nothing. Even the stubble was burned down to nothing. God judged. God judged Esau. He judged Edom. In AD 70, when Rome came in and took Jerusalem, you know where else they went? They went into Edom. They went all the way south and Rome came in and they literally destroyed Edom. 
after 70 AD, you will not find another trace of Edom anywhere in history. Completely wiped out. They were judged by God. The other half of that is what? Look what happened with Israel. Israel was blessed. Israel got all the territory that was Edom's, and they will get all of the territory. When you begin to read all of the places that they talk about here, their territory will be all the way from the river Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. It will be all the way from Egypt all the way north into what is today Syria. They will have every last bit of it. But it's going to take the great tribulation to get there. God, yes, will he judge us? Certainly he will. Even believers, he's going to, it says that the books will be opened. And yes, some of ours is going to be burned up like wood, hay, or stubble. But some is going to survive as precious stones and jewels. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to stand before Jesus and say, when did I give you that cup of cold water? I don't remember that. I don't remember when I fed you or visited you in prison. I, I honestly don't. And, and Jesus looks at you and says, oh, wait, wait a second, let me rewind the tape. This is when you did it. This is when you visited so-and-so. This is when you took care of that person that couldn't take care of themselves. He's going to rewind that tape, and he's going to, he's going to give us our rewards for what we did right. How we did what he would do. Amen? All right. Well, we're going to come to communion. And as we come to communion, I want you to think of this. I, I, some of you are probably saying, boy, pastor, that was a pretty hard message today. You beat us up pretty good. You know, sometimes preachers get into a little bit of meddling. But who's our example? Jesus is our example. I can tell you, I didn't deserve the mercy and the grace that he gave me. I was, as Paul would say, the chief of sinners. But yet, on the night that he had the Last Supper, and he went up to the garden to pray. What did he pray? He said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But then what did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. They don't deserve it, Lord. Father, he says, no, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love them.